Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. A lot of things have been happening. Um, just like in the rest of the world, lots of things happen, lots of things in the news, and we listen to the news. Some people listen to the news almost religiously. Uh, I was talking to an old fellow yesterday, and and uh, he was talking about things going on. He, you know, spent 26 years in the Air Force, in the military, serving uh, his country. And he's really disappointed at what he sees going on in his country. Uh, this guy's a real Air Force guy. He has an American flag out in front of his house and an Air Force flag <laughs> flying underneath it. And I guess that's probably illegal. He's not supposed to have the Air Force flag, but he's, he thinks he can do it because he's, he gave his life in service to his country. Spent his whole life, of course, and now he's on pension. He writes stories, and uh, he's kind of a, a interesting guy. Uh, you can see the military in him and the way he conducts himself, because he was changed by his stint in the military, his life in the military, and he, of course, like many people, thinks that oh, we we need to get back to the Constitution. Uh, he's all for guys like Rand Paul. I wasn't sure where he was at. You never know. Uh, I guess guys in the military are uh, for people like Ron Paul and Rand Paul more than almost any other group. It's amazing the support that they get. But yet uh, when Ron Paul ran for president, he didn't do so well. Did amazingly well bucking the system. And what is the system? Well, you have... We supposedly have this two-party system in the United States. Uh, a lot of people don't know it. In the Soviet Union, you used to, everybody had to vote. Everybody would go out and vote. It was part of the deal. Yeah, they had, they were a democracy in the sense that they had to vote. And of course, democracy was, is something that, uh, uh, Karl Marx was very much in favor of because he knew that democracy led to socialism and socialism led to communism. Uh, the problem was in, I'm not going to say the, the problem, the, one of the problems in the Soviet Union was that there was only one party. So, supposedly in the United States, we're better because we have two parties. You have a choice between the devil and the deep blue sea, so to speak. You can choose this group or you can choose that group. And I made political on either one because I know the solution is not there in those groups. The solution is in Christ. But a lot of people think that they believe in Christ and they have faith in Christ and they are Christians and they're doing what Christ said and and they believe in all this and they actually don't. They actually uh, are uh, very much not believing in Christ. They don't even know Christ. They don't even know who he was. They don't know anything about him, really, except for, you know, vague pieces of information that they have picked up from Bible school. And what's that? And this is true also of ministers, more so. Uh, 
I, well, maybe I shouldn't say more so, but the ministers are more deluded because they actually think they know about Christ. Who he was, and you know, that you have to believe that Jesus was God, the Son of God. That Jesus and God were the same. And you got the Trinity and all this stuff. I was always amazed. Now, I was raised taught the Trinity. That's that's a big thing with the church that I was a part of. And uh, I was shocked to find out the word Trinity doesn't even show up in the Bible. <laughs> it's not even in there. So where'd that come from? Well, people took things that are in the Bible and uh, they put it together and they deduced that there is this Trinity and they named it the Trinity. And uh, they have this conclusion based on what they're reading in the Bible. And what they're reading in the Bible is true, but their conclusion might not be true. Because there's a lot of different opinions as to exactly what it means, the Trinity, although that word is an invention of the individuals who created it, and so therefore they should have the right to define it. But other people have come along and used it, and they may define it slightly different. Somebody may be wrong. And I'm not discussing the pros and cons of the Trinity. I'm just showing you the evolution of eschatologies. They read the whole book. You know, people say the Bible interprets itself. Well, it's not doing a very good job of it because most people disagree about what it says. <laughs> so, it does not interpret. Only people interpret the Bible. And it tells you in the Bible that the Bible is not for private interpretation. And I've actually had ministers suggest that, well, that's because only the church can interpret the Bible. But the church is a private group too. I mean, the people who say they're the church, of course, now that's uh, that with some groups they say, well, we have apostolic succession. So we're the church. That's it. Final said. If you don't like it, we'll burn you at the stake. And somehow or other, I don't think that's the church established by Jesus Christ because I don't think that the church established by Jesus Christ would burn anybody at the stake. It just doesn't seem like Jesus to me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, somebody's under a strong delusion that they're following Christ when they're setting men and women and children on fire and torturing them to death because their eschatology was not right. But this went on for hundreds of years, centuries. You know, whole villages and towns were massacred and wiped out. People's property was stolen. They were shoved out into the wilderness. We would never do that again, now would we? We're civilized. Well, actually, we do that every day. The mark of the beast is already here. People are already being uh, driven out of their homes, uh, driven, driven into destitution because they didn't get the mark of the beast. Or they don't want to have the mark of the beast or they don't want to use the mark of the beast. And you already got it. And so now a lot of people say, well, then I'd be condemned to hell if I already had it because the Bible condemns everybody to hell who has the mark of the beast. It doesn't. It doesn't do anything like that. It doesn't say anything about condemning everybody who has the mark of the beast to hell. It talks about fire and brimstone, but that's not hell. It talks about the prophets of the beast being cast into the lake of fire, but that isn't necessarily hell. Couldn't the lake of fire be something different than hell? No, it might be the same. But you have to come to a conclusion. You have to decide that it means this or that or the other thing. 
And we could go through that. People love to go through Revelations. They love that because Revelation is about the future. And if I know the future, I have an advantage. And people are often studying the Bible to get an advantage. Ministers study it. They go and get degrees so that they will have an advantage over you. So that they can tell you what to believe. And to show up into church. And then they learn all kinds of interesting things about rhetoric. And it, so they can entertain you. Because they got to make you feel good when you come to church. This, I just saw somebody who posted something, and I know the church they go to, and they say, I love my church. And, of course, they had the, you know, like, I love New York thing with an I and then a heart and then church. My church, I guess they said. And um, they love their church. Why? Because it makes them feel so good. Now, they're actually a pretty decent people. I happen to know those people, but uh, they have their problems, too, but... Uh, Church isn't there to make you feel good. It's to guide you to Christ. And to guide you... And Christ, of course, wanted you to be perfect. He wants you to be perfect. Oh, you can't be perfect. Oh, oh, we're all sinners. Uh, Nothing we can do about it. We just have to be saved because we believe. Well, you know, that is such a dangerous idea. Now, it's true that you have to believe. But what do you have to believe? Well, you know, your Bible scholars will tell you. You have to believe this. You have to believe that. You have to believe this. Because we deduce that this is what this means. And so, therefore, you have to... Really, what they want you to do is believe them. And their private interpretation. That's what they're doing. And you do it because you... You you know, it's kind of like... What was it? uh, Elvis Presley... He wore, wore a cross and the Star of David. And then he had, a, I think he had the, the moon and star symbol of uh, Islam. And he wore all these emblems. You know, like, uh, was it Benny in um, the movie Mummies? <laughs> he, he had all these different symbols. He wanted to be covered, you know. I wanted to be saved. And if this religion was wrong, then I need to have this one. And if that religion is wrong, I need to have that its sacred symbol. And and they had all these things. You know, he had all his bases covered. But it doesn't work that way. That's not the way it works. And uh, and we, you know, one of the things I can never remember the quote. I have the hardest time remembering the quote. It was Albert Einstein who talks about unmooring the ritual from its meaning. And, of course, that's that's what has been going on in your religions from time again. It's like there are two trains of thought. And in in doing research on, on the word religion, I, I was coming up with all kinds of interesting um, bits and pieces on uh, this idea of religion. In one place it it says in um, uh, a, uh, I think it's a Harvard uh, publication, Harvard Human Rights Journal, Volume 16, if you want to look it up. I'm sure you'll all run out and get a copy. Uh, Nevertheless, the term religion remains undefined as a matter of international law. The absence of definition of religion is not peculiar to international human rights conventions. 
Most national constitutions also include clauses on freedom of religion without defining religion. Thus, we are presented, on the one hand, with important provisions guaranteeing fundamental rights pertaining to religion, but on the other hand, the term itself is left undefined. Uh, that's amazing. That's amazing that, that, that you don't define religion. You don't define it almost anywhere. And one of the reasons why is the government really wouldn't have the power to define religion. Would it? If it could define religion, isn't that accepting and establishing, even prohibiting the exercise of religion? Because you're defining it. You're naming it. You're identifying it. And therefore you would have... The only way you could do that is you have power over it. And so they don't. But when I'm, I'm reading, I read just uh, half a dozen documents. You could call them ancient documents. and Some of them go back to only 1944. But uh, like in the uh, United States versus Ballard case, um, there are other cases uh, that... Uh, I could quote from some of them go back to 1866 and uh, you can actually even find uh, references back in 1068 uh, 1520 uh, and, or, or read uh, Locke uh, his notes on, on the subject and I'm just scanning through here some of the resources that I've been examining to try to find this definition of religion. And the reality is that there seems to be two schools of thought on religion. Like two trains going in opposite directions. And uh, one is going one way in defining religion. And the other one is going the another way one way is going the way of religion is what you think about a creator of the universe the creator of you and the other one is about what you do and these these two concepts concepts conflict all the time and the interesting thing is how they do it how how does whole societies move from the idea that religion is what you do, the fulfillment of your duty to God and your fellow man. And the other one is what you think about God. And th these are the two definitions of religion, and they, they seem to fluctuate. Now, you could look in certain parts of the world, and you'll see that they're moving more towards this way, and then in other parts of the world, they're moving according to this train of thought. But these are the two trains of thought. If you divide the opinions about religion into the basic fundamentals, it's either religion is about your duty to God and your fellow man, and the other one is about what you think about God. You know, your belief system, your eschatology about God. And so which one is accurate, and why does a society favor, you know, one society favor one definition and the other society favor another definition. And the fact is, when you look back in history, 
and putting all these documented ideas together, written, you know, at the time by the predominant uh, thinkers of that day, you'll see that it isn't necessarily locality because at a different time in the history of that locality, people will be thinking the other way, generally speaking. And there's always some people in every area that are thinking both ways. But this predominance of the idea of going this way or that way, and what what is the motivational factor in society that causes society to think this way as opposed to that? And then a hundred years later, or even sometimes as short as 50 years later, but usually a generation or two later, the society will be thinking more the other way. And the fact is, this is kind of a natural evolution, like the seasons, uh, like the uh, the sun goes through its 11-year cycle. It's actually a 22-year cycle where the poles reverse from north to south and then back to south to north and then back to north to south again. And it just does this every 11 years. It makes this reversal and every 22 years it is completely gone full circle. And societies seem to do the same thing, but is it just the tick of the clock that makes society do that or the way in which society organizes itself? There's a couple of different ways we see societies organizing themselves, and uh, this will take place over a longer period of time. In India and England, you have a caste system. Now, in India, it's, it's very stark and real. You have the, the poor and the impoverished, and then you have this other class systems uh, of hierarchy of society. And then you have this group that sometimes is supposed to be outside of that whole system, and they're, they're like the, the monks, the, the rishi priests, or even Buddhists, if you have Buddhists. But now you have a mix of religion in these areas, although they've pretty much divided it in India, where the Muslims are all over there, and the countries like Pakistan, and... Uh, Basically, Hindu religion is predominant. The Buddhists kind of get around all over the place. But it, America has the most diverse set of religions in the world. We have more religions in America, probably, you know, that actually have a rooted uh, place to be than anywhere else in the world. This diversification of religion. But we still have, if you're going to divide religion into these two groups, the ones who say that religion is not what you do but what you think, and the other one that says it's not what you think but what you do, how has that come about? And the reality is it it has to do with the spirit that's moving in the individual. And that spirit is either cultivated to go one way, and receive this one spirit or cultivated to go another way. And there's a lot of contributing factors. There's time, uh, there's conditions of society, and those conditions of societies change with other ideas, such as in a socialist state, uh, in the early parts, the people will go one way. But in the latter parts of socialism, when it's meeting its decay and and, an oppressive state, which we call things like communism, uh, 
the people will go the other way. And then after communism has existed in a place for a long enough period of time, they will have oppressed out of existence a certain line of thinking, but that it will appear again, just mysteriously. And a generation will be like born up, and people will be in that generation, and they'll begin to think the other way. And why is that? It's because the reality is this whole physical world that we live in is a reflection of the spiritual realms that are all about us. And so when a society becomes totally void of the higher spirit, the spirit of God, this creative, loving, merciful, just spirit of God, when it becomes void of that, Born into the children will be people that will want to bring you back that way, that will have a connection back that way, because your society is generally void. And then then the shift begins to take place back the other way, because you have these new prophets. Really, that's what they are, prophets born in society that, that are called back to the other way. So it's kind of this yin-yang. This is where they get these idea of yin-yang, is that there's there's these two spirits, these two trains. They're on the same track, but this, it's about direction. One's going this way and another going that way, which is why you hear me repeat, all roads lead to Rome, all roads lead to the kingdom of heaven. It's just about direction. So the question is, as we're talking about it here today, for the next uh, half of the show. What's your choice that lays before you? The choice is, what train are you going to get on? What direction are you going to go? I mean, it's always been about direction. The direction you choose to go, it's going to look in a particular way. It's going to provide a particular pattern route, agenda in your life. It's going to be going a particular way. Now, if you choose the, the way to hell, the, the road to perdition, you know, your, your thinking is going to draw you in a particular direction. You know, you're going to have problems that you wouldn't have if you were going the other way because you're going to run into different kind of obstacles. But you're going to have the right to choose all the time which train you're going to get on. Now, there's a certain momentum that is developed when you you pick the wrong train, where it gets hard to turn around on that track. You, you know, you you can't just turn around a train. You, the train can't do it. It has to be brought onto a special track, a roundabout, to reverse directions and go the other way. So you're developing a momentum in this society today, in this time in history. You've been developing for the last 50 to 100 years a momentum towards perdition. And you can see it in the philosophies of religion. And this is what we've been showing in an article that we've been putting together in a number of shows. I mean, our last shows were on uh, uh, cubing the sheaves. And part of that is part of this idea of what religion is. Because the cubing the sheaves, we talked about how your mind is compressed to think within a certain box. And they do this with eschatologies and ideologies. 
that you cannot think outside of this ideology, this eschatology. And they've cubed you like a bale of hay and they've bound you up with religion. And they've used religion to bind you up because they redefined religion. It's not real religion. It's not pure religion. It's that false religion that's going in the opposite direction. And, and I know I'm going to have to break this down more, and we will, so that you can see what I'm talking about. Because we're using the same words, religion, religion, but which one are we talking about? Which one do you believe in? We'll, we'll, we'll ask that question when we get back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about religion, which is what we should be talking about on a program like Keys of the Kingdom, because Christ came preaching a religion, didn't he? Well, he did, but not a religion as you think he was preaching. (laughs) Now, some of you may think different because you're listening to this program, but The reality is most people have a distorted view of what religion really is and what it's really all about. And, I mean, the confusion is rampant in in writing these different definitions is part of the problem. But not wanting to know the truth is the real problem. And I pointed out before that John Bovier's 1856 Law Dictionary, which is adapted to the Constitution of the United States, uh, religion is defined as, in practice, consists of the performance of all known duties to God and your fellow man. That's what and how religion was defined in 1856 in a dictionary that was adapted to the Constitution. So, how you took care of the needy of your society. See, when when they first wrote the Constitution, and they began to act with that Constitution, which was long after... I mean, the first president didn't come from the Constitution. There was a president before the Constitution was ever written. George Washington was not the first president. He was the first president under the Constitution. And the Constitution was illegally ratified. So it wasn't really ratified at all. But it was acquiesced to and has become law because people participated in its terms. They signed on to it by word and deed. And so it became law. But the Constitution allows for Judiciary Act of 1789, which of course you all know because you've read and studied our books on law like covenants of the gods which tells you in there that this judiciary act of 1789 allows for a system of law which is a legal system in other words law existed before man wrote anything down on paper the law of gravity the law of consequences the law of nature and nature's God. It already existed. It already was. It doesn't matter whether you know it or read about it or not. It's it's going to take place. But within that, you can make agreements. You can make covenants. 
You can create institutions. You can give them power. You can go under their power by going into debt. This is all part of natural law. Once you are under their power, these institutions, which are created by contract, by participation, by acquiescence, then the laws of those institutions becomes laws for you. And the rulers of those institutions become your gods as a result of the covenants and contracts and participation that you have and, and application that you have participated in, involved yourself in, in relationship to those institutions. This is why you were told to make no covenants with them nor with their gods, with the rulers of their institutions. And of course, when they create these institutions, they often create symbols to identify the institutions. So that, you know, it's like businesses, you know. Uh, used to, a lot of people didn't read at different times in England. So if you were a bootmaker or a shoemaker, you wouldn't put a sign out that says shoemaker. You would put a, a, a boot. You would hang a boot out on a, the end of a rope outside the door or over the door. So that people, you know, if you just hung it over the door, people would come in and say, oh, boots. He's got boots in there. Let's go in. I need my boot fixed. And so they would go in. That was a, that was a shoemaker. He would repair your boot. Of course, they realized, well, they might miss that if I just hang it above the door. So then they'd put it out on a little stick and uh, tie it onto that. So it would hang out into the street a little bit. And you could see it from afar off. Oh, there they are down there. And you go down there. So I had this symbol that represented that I am a bootmaker. And then, of course, if you had an inn, you, what, what do you do then? You would... You know, you have to put some sort of symbol. So, there would be the lion's head in. And so, they would have a lion's head. A picture of a lion's head on a piece of wood. And you'd see that lion's head. And you'd say, oh, that's the lion head in. Or whatever the name of it is. Cross swords in. Hang cross swords there. And that would... It, it was the first icons <laughs> before before uh, Apple. They had icons. They actually had these symbols that represent what we do here in this business. And we identify this business with those symbols. Well, words do the same thing. Words are the symbols of ideas, so says the author of the first English dictionary. Words are the symbols of ideas. So, we have a word, religion, and we, it, that's a symbol of an idea. But which idea? Is it the idea we see expressed in John Bovier's Law Dictionary adapted to the Constitution that religion in practice is the consistent of the, uh, consists of the performance of all the known duties to God and your fellow men? Or is religion the symbol of the idea that it's a set of beliefs about a superhuman creator? Which is it? You see? How complicated it can become 
when oh what tangle webs we weave when first we plan to define words because <laughs> if you can redefine words you can control people if you can get people to call slavery freedom you got it made if you can get people to call feeling good being good you got it made. You can make a lot of money in religion. Oh, wait a minute. Which religion? Oh, this new idea that religion is a set of beliefs. That's what you think. Instead of the old idea that it's what you do. Now, we could, I can find you dozens and dozens of quotes right out of the mouth of Jesus that show you very clearly which definition Jesus would use in defining religion. Because he says, it's not what you say you believe, but it's what you do. Many will come in my name thinking they believe in me and that they're doing great things for me. But they're going to be told, get ye from me, workers of iniquity. What, what do you mean, workers? Doers of iniquity. What they're doing was not what Christ called them to do. They are actually anti-Christ, yet they profess Christ. Now, of course, that's taking the name of the Lord in vain. You're saying, I'm going to do what God wants, but you're not doing. And he had parables about this. Two sons. One said he would do it, but didn't. And the other one said he wouldn't, but he ended up doing it. Which one was the true son? The one that thought he believed? Or the one that actually did what he said? You see, you've got a modern religion that's out there saying it doesn't matter what you do. It only matters what you think. You can literally save yourself by what you think. Now, you are saved by belief. But then how are we applying that? You see, you could, that could be a total cop-out. This is, this is the sophistry of words. You know, Adam and Eve, when they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they didn't die. They were actually just standing there. So, was was God a liar? He said that surely you will die, and you didn't die. So, the devil was telling the truth, and God was lying. From a certain point of view. But from another point of view, they did die. They died to God, who was the source of life. Now, they had to get life somewhere else. They had to get it from scratching in the earth. They had to get it from others like Cain did. He took the life from others. He brought them into subjection to him. They had to work and scratch in the earth and he taxed them. You see, because he was dead. He had no life of his own. He had to take life from somebody else or from something else. And so people began to eat animals and, and grow crops. You know, not that they didn't before, but the, the, the devouring. You know, one of the ancient laws was that you could not abuse animals it says but of course that's really and that's true you wouldn't abuse animals you know you wouldn't necessarily clear cut forests and things like that but it actually has to do with abusing life because of the word there that is used in the Hebrew you see sophistry gets really easy when you start translating 
from one language to the next. It's a little more difficult if you have to redefine words in a dictionary. Because that takes some time, you know. I mean, you can't just change that definition overnight. you you got to change it a little bit at, at a time. Otherwise, people will know what you're up to. Now, does that mean that all these lexicographers, uh, these dictionary writers, these word definers are in some sort of conspiracy? Well, they are, but they don't know it. You see, they got on that train going the other way. And so they begin to see with different eyes. Everything they see is from this other point of view. And so they redefine words. And uh, and this requires, what happens is that you the people who get on that train are being changed in their minds. They're being changed spiritually. And they're getting farther and farther away from the people on the other train. The people on the other train are getting smaller and smaller and smaller and more and more insignificant. So that they can't even see or hear what those other people are saying. Even though they might be actually physically in the same room. They can't see it. And we see that, can't see that the blind leading the blind manifested in words like cognitive dissonance. Where you're, you're disconnected from elements of reality. And we talked about it in one of our last shows. We actually do quite a few shows a week and at org, you will get to hear many of those other shows. And uh, they're put together in a categories of themes so that you can follow a chain of thoughts. And so there's some repetition, but we have to do that repetition because of the fact that nobody else is connecting these dots. That you are a victim of this cognitive dissonance. And one of their greatest tools is to redefine words. So when we show you that there is another definition. And like we said, Jesus says not what you say, but what you do. That is in direct conflict with people who say it's not what you do, it's what you believe. You see, they're on another train. Paul never said it to be meant in the way that people take it. And we have, you know, 22 hours on Paul, explaining Paul and the Romans, and why he was writing the Romans. You see, the Romans had realized that religion was the performance of all known duties to God and your fellow men. So they were starting to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, which Paul talks about. And Paul is writing these Romans, some of whom are his own relatives, his nieces and his half-brother. And he's writing them, talking to them as the believers, the ones of faith. Because they've already turned their train around. You see, they repented of the direction that Rome was going at the time. It was moving towards socialism. That the government take care of your duty to your fellow man. Your duty is now only to the gods of Rome. 
the institutions of Rome. And of course, we've we've explained many times, and I know some of you are new listeners, so those temples of Rome were the welfare offices, the Bureau of Vital Statistics, you know, uh, the Hall of Records. That's what they were. They weren't in there, you know, doing mumbo-jumbo. They were the social welfare system institutions. That's where you went to register your birth, to the Temple of Saturn, uh, what was it, Crescent, that you went to to uh, get your welfare check, you know, your welfare token, so that you could go to a little building alongside of it and and get your free bread or your free cheese or your free wine or your free whatever it was or those commodities at a reduced price depending on what point in history you're in or your health care yeah, they had health care in Rome for a period of time I mean they, they went bankrupt but they had universal health care under one of the emperors for a short period of time All this stuff goes on today and it's changing you because you're either on the train going away from the kingdom or you're on the train going to the kingdom. Now, the the interesting thing in our modern society is the conductors on that train are often wearing white collars. (laughs) Yeah, they're your ministers. They got you on the train towards perdition, towards hell. They got you on that train. But they're going to entertain you while you're there. You know what we took? Was it the Starlight train? That's the coastline, Amtrak. And uh, they have have entertainers on the train. They go around and they perform in the different cars. They go from car to car and they do literally their little magic shows or they sing or whatever it is that they do. And they entertain you. I haven't seen that yet on the uh, Great Northern. Uh, I think it's called Great Northern. It's the one that goes across all the plain states up north there. And uh, that, that uh, got a lot more Amish people on there. So <laughs> they, they don't have the entertainer. But the one that comes up from Los Angeles that often has an entertainer had a guy with a puppet, and he would go from car to car. And that was what he did. He, he rode the car, did the show all day long, as he went through cars, and then he rode back, did the same thing. That's what he did for a living. It was the entertainment on the starlight. I don't know if they still do that. Money's getting to be pinched because we live in a debt society, so they're probably cutting corners. So anyway, we talked before about Congress shall make no laws respecting an establishment or prohibiting the free exercise of the perform. Uh, but what, what does that mean? Of religion? Which religion? The free exercise of the performance of all known duties to God and your fellow man. What's happening today in society? And, and it was in the news. You know, that uh, one of the uh, cabinet members of uh, one of the presidents, I won't mention any names, because it doesn't matter. Because we're dealing with the spirit. You know, I'm not going to vote evil out of existence. 
It's just not going to happen. But they say they don't care who makes the laws. It's who writes the regulations, you see. Because with this cognitive dissonance in place everywhere, through the assistance of public education, and probably fluoride, you know, I would say fluoride works. <laughs> the people are mindless. They've been lobotomized. That they, they're using the regulations and private companies that are trying to operate according to those regulations to persecute true Christians. Yeah, that, that's actually going on right now. I could go through a whole scenario, but we don't have enough time in this show to show you how they do that. And, and you're running into it. You're bumping into it. You know, like, uh, now they say I have to do this, and now they say I have to do that, and then they say there's a law that, you know, as of 2012, that there was this law that now we have to do this and that and the other thing. Well, actually, there isn't any law like that. They just rewrote the regulations. I, I saw them as they did this. I, last year I was pointing out that they're, they're taking all the previous regulations that you would look up and they're rewording them slightly. And unless you're very good at picking out the sophistry, you see that they're moving. You, you read the old regulation and you think this is what the regulation is. Okay, now you read the new wording for the same regulation. No law changed. Just reworded the regulation. Now you will act in another way. You will apply different requirements because you've read the regulation rewritten in another way. Now the truth is still there, but in order to find the whole truth, you got to go down to like Clause 52, Section Z, <laughs> and you read, except for this exception. But they don't go that far. So they don't know that there's more to this. So they, they're just applying this rule. Everybody has to have this. Everybody has to do it this way. Except over So they put it like in small print, way down at the bottom. Except... If you, but nobody knows that because it's way down there. So you, you can't talk to these people. They, they become mindless automatons. You know, they will, they will run the train and they will make sure the train is on time. You know, like the old stories of Auschwitz and, it, the trains would bring people in. It wasn't just Jews. They were taking to a lot of these uh, prison camps. And there were a lot of prison camps. There's, we have certain names that are famous. But there's no doubt that many people were abused under the Nazi regime. Many more people were abused under the communist regime. But they were our allies. So that <laughs> so was okay. But uh, the reality is, is that... Uh, there were people that were trained off to prison camps, worked to death, and even exterminated to some degree or another. You know, gypsies were ones that were arrested commonly, but Christians were arrested. Jews were arrested. All kinds of people were arrested. They were called dissidents. 
see you know what a dissident is depending on how you define it it's it's someone who is waking up from their cognitive dissidence <laughs> dissonance and that they're a dissident because they see something that the others do not see and they can't have that because if you're right then I'm wrong and I can't be wrong so I have to kill you sorry <laughs> that's their mentality they don't put it in such obvious terms, but that's what's going on. And it all has to do with a spirit that moves in society. That's how come you have to know them by their fruits. And you watch. If you step back and really humbly beseech God to open your eyes and are willing to see the truth about yourself, even more so than the rest of the world. Everybody could say, oh, well, that guy's lousy. Oh, that guy's terrible. Oh, that guy's wicked. Oh, that guy is a hypocrite. Oh, that guy's uh, evil. But you don't really get come to any understanding until you look at yourself and your own participation in evil. Because then, when you look at yourself, you can see the connect. They connect to the wrong system and spirit. And when you see it, it, your, your vision is like, you know, Superman's x-ray vision. You, it melts those threads, those connections, because you're willing to see them. You know, because this way evil works in the dark. It doesn't actually need dark. It just needs you not willing to look at the truth. And the truth is, we've abandoned the ways of Christ while professing them with our lips. And we have all become workers of iniquity, from the least to the greatest. And it is time to repent. And we'll tell you how to do that next time on Keys of the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're talking about direction. We're talking about which train do you want to go on. Uh, we were talking about religion and uh, 
the um, idea that the word has changed many times, and it changes pretty regularly. And I, I, I wrote a number of uh, articles and uh, still going to be probably end up writing more on this subject. Uh, but this idea of a uh, definition of religion changing and in one uh, uh, review, a different one than I mentioned in the last show, uh, historical evolution of the concept of religion. The definition, it says the definition of religion has not been static. Quite the contrary. How religion is understood and how it has been defined has changed in different eras. From the founders' understanding of what religion is, uh, state courts drew their initial inspiration in defining the term. In the first attempt, the Supreme Court provided a narrow theistic definition in Davis versus Bacon. In the late 1800s, the mid-20th century, the Supreme Court would broaden its understanding of religion in the United States under like Ballard, uh, Torcaso uh, versus Watkins, uh, or the United States versus Seeger, or even Welsh versus United States. Uh, these uh, th- these narrowing and broadening of definitions are actually reversing sometimes the very definition of religion. And one of the things that the courts have tried to stay away from, and when we say courts, we're talking about people. Somebody's elected a judge. A God, a ruling judge, over deciding what religion is. Not you, somebody else is going to decide what religion is. And and this is necessary in governments that exercise authority one over the other. Cain, Lamech, all, Nimrod, they all had to have these exercising authority judges to define words for you, to define meanings for you. And you easily fall prey to those people, those ruling judges, those gods, many. Because there's a little bit of that in you. I mean, the whole idea of democracy is that you get together with more people like yourself and you vote to rule over your neighbor. That's what democracy is all about. Is that 51% are going to take away the rights of the other 49 You have to be coveting your neighbor's goods and rights in order to love democracy. You know, somebody said something to the effect that that democracy only works among saints. Democracy would only, you know, work in, in heaven where they don't need it. Because they already ruled by the mind of Christ, the mind of God, the way of God, the thinking of God. And so if you get on the train that's moving away from Christ, and of course that's what Cain did. He went out of the presence of God, which led to the Lamech and led to Nimrod, etc., and more and more corruption. Because they went out of the presence of God, out of the way of God. And they created a city-state which created rules. And they created that with a legal system. Again, there was a law already. You cannot, you cannot leave the law. You can use the law, 
the law, law, law of nature, the fundamental law of the universe. You can use that law to create a legal system. And then you can kind of create a world of your own. And if you can seduce other people to come into that, you can bind them, according to the laws of nature, into contracts of debt and privation. You see, if they get you to think that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods, and you all come together in a group to do so, democratically, they got you to commit a crime. Isn't that how the mafia gets people to join the mafia? Is they get you to commit a crime. You killed this guy, you're in. You robbed this old lady, you're in. Because they know you're one of them. You've proven your loyalty to their criminal nature. And they got you. You've gotten on board. We use these metaphors. You've gotten on board. You see, what religion today, most of your churches today, is to get you on board with the idea that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods. Even though Jesus said if you want eternal life, you have to keep your, the commandments, and one of those is not to covet your neighbor's goods. It's also not to commit adultery. And adultery doesn't just mean sexual adultery. It means making covenants outside of that covenant you have with God. But of course, that's also covered under thou shalt not have any other gods before me. In other words, you're not going to make somebody else have the power to decide what is right and wrong for you. You're going to let God decide what is right and wrong. You're not going to eat of that tree and you're not going to let other people force feed you. You see, that's what the bureaucracies of today do. They can't see beyond their regulation book. Because that regulation book was written by their God. Their God says, this is right, this is wrong. Okay, I have to do it this way because it says, this is wrong and this is right. And if they can write the regulation book, they can rule over the minds of the mindless majority. And they can get them to be the orcs and goblins of an evil army that comes to eat out your substance. And what's your defense? Become like them? To pull out the sword? No. To change. These are spiritual trains that you're getting onto. These are spiritual ways that you are following. If you want to go towards the kingdom of liberty, of the perfect law of liberty, you have to start moving that way in practical ways every day in your life. You you actually need to start tithing. Not You don't have to tithe to me. Tithing is... The reason they call it tithing is ten families had gathered together. So each one gave a share and that was their tithe. And if all things were equal, it would be one-tenth of what they produced in a given year. You don't need any other rules other than the word produced. One-tenth of your time and energy was to be given into a common purse by your choice to be managed by the minister, the trustee that you chose to minister it. And then you have the responsibility as the ruler in the kingdom to listen to God and say, and God says, you know, he's not using that money right. 
that sheep right, that food that you gave him right. He's misusing it. Look how fat he's getting. Look how skinny the widows and orphans are. Something's wrong with this picture. You have the power under the perfect law of liberty to say, I'm not going to pay that government servant anymore. That's the way it works in the kingdom. It's the perfect law of liberty. You have the power. But that's your duty. And remember, religion is your duty to your fellow man. If you're picking ministers that are starving the widows and orphans, and the true needy of society, and we use that word widows and orphans, it could be old men, widowers, and orphans. And they may not be orphans. They may be, they may have parents that are 20 years old. But the dad fell off a ladder and the mother got and the father fell on the mother and broke her legs and so they can't work and their kids are starving they're hard working industrious moral people but they need help that's what church was for to be the social welfare net of society it wasn't to weaken the poor like modern welfare systems you don't work you don't eat I'm not helping you you didn't fall off the ladder you just slept late because you stayed up all night drinking. I'm not sending you a check. And my minister, I want my minister to stone you. And he doesn't want to hit you with rocks. He's just not going to give you any money. Because the minister was the stone. And we've talked about that before. You can read about it in uh, Thy Kingdom Come and, uh, and uh, Artifice and Language Land. All articles and audios on our website. The point is, you should be taking care of one another. If you will not spend the energy and life that God has given you to become the social welfare system of the people, for the people, and by the people, and you can't do that unless you network. And by networking, gather together in those tens and pick a minister. And contribute to him so that he can start systems of charity to go out amongst the poor of society and find the deserving poor and help them. Not just, don't just start a bread kitchen and say, anybody who's hungry show up. I've seen them. The lines are full of fat people. What is that? <laughs> Why? They look like a, a line of Java the Huts. Everybody inside are skinny and everybody in the line is overweight. And it's free food. Stop feeding the bears. It makes them dependent. <laughs> that was a, that was a sign up. You know, uh, it, it was I guess it was like a welfare office. It was a cartoon where the it showed these people in line waiting for their welfare check, and the, one of the people wasn't a people. It was a bear standing there. And there was a sign that said, don't feed the bears, it makes them dependent. And of course, all the other people is making them dependent. You know, it's it's just astounding. You know, though, I, I actually know somebody who you know, never had a social security number and finally, you know, they were married and they're trying to make a living and of course, because that's the mark of the beast, you can't make a living without that number so you have to go get that number. Um, and that's what the social security number is. It's the physical representation of the mark of the beast. 
And so you had to get that number to get a job and do this, although they were had been working for years without it. And uh, but it was getting harder and harder. And this was this was years ago. Now it's now it's even getting harder, and it's doing it by those regulations that are being rewritten because the law really hasn't changed. You don't need the number. But you try to convince people of that. Oh well, no, I have the number. Everybody has to have the number. No, you don't need the number. They even have in the regulations saying we well, don't need the number of this, this, and this. But they they can't. There's a cognitive disconnect because if they realize what this really means in the law, they'd realize that they have sold themselves into bondage for a pot of porridge, just like Esau. In Esau, God hates. And wait a minute, Nicolaitans God hates, and the Arabalum God hates. Did you know that all three of those things are the same? <laughs> They're talking about the exact same thing, and God hates it. And that Arabalum and the Nicolaitan is people going out and getting a social security number. Same thing. You are conquered by your lust for benefits because you love reward. You gather together to have one purse because you're greedy for gain. And you lurk privately for the blood of your neighbor. And you consume it. And so, how many people, somebody asked me the other day, he says, well, how long have you been on Social Security? I says, I'm not on Social Security. He says, oh, you're not old enough yet? And I says, no, I'm old enough. I'm just not going to collect Social Security. He says, well, you paid in all those years. Yeah, well, I'm eligible for it. I paid in enough. But I won't collect it. And he says, why not? You paid in. I says, but what you paid in isn't there. It's gone. Everything you paid in is gone. It's bankrupt. It's operating in the red. People are trying to tell you that it's not. But I've got several articles that show you in the law. It's bankrupt. Because you cannot sectionalize off the funds. And the whole country is bankrupt. And it's operating in red. That's what you're hearing about every day on the news. They're saying they don't have any money. They have to print more money. And somebody's going to have to pay that money back, and they're going to have to pay it back with interest. Who's that? Your children and your grandchildren. Which is why the Bible talks about how you would become so covetous that you would curse your children. That's what you're doing. When you apply for Social Security, you're cursing your children. You're not operating according to the perfect law of liberty. You're operating by the sword. You're going to send men out to force your children to pay the debt of your benefits. That's what you're doing. Now, I understand that you can't live without it because you've, you're in bondage. You know, we got people all the time that are, are saying, well, I'm out of the system. I'm not going to be a part of Babylon. I'm not going to do any of this. But how are they feeding anybody else? They can barely feed themselves. How are they taking care of the widows and orphans? They can't even take care of their own children. They're willfully not giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. And they, they're not being friends with the unrighteous mammon, like Jesus said. They're just rebellious, and they have a rebellious spirit. And I understand, and I forgive them. But they have to repent still. I, I can forgive them till the cows come home. Unless they repent, it's not, my forgiveness isn't absolution. It's not gonna let, 
make it so they can get away with such a rebellious nature. They have to get on the other train. They have to get going the other direction. The, the world has divided you and incorporated you into them instead of into brotherly love. And you have to separate yourself from that by becoming something different. And this is what Israel was doing when they had to still pay their tally of bricks, but they had to glean in the field at night for their straw for their benefits. This is what they were doing. And uh, and we need to understand how that works. And how it works is that we have to change our ways so that God can change us. So that we can be changed by being on His train. His, you know, way. And it's a narrow way. It's a way of self-sacrifice. And it's a way of coming into one accord with others who are wanting to do that. You know, one of the things is that you, as an individual, have a witness. Are you righteous with your neighbor? Are you honest? Are you honorable? Uh, Are you uh, patient? Persevering? That's your witness. And as you do that, you make a record. Now, when we form a congregation of record, now your record is a mutual record. It's not an individual record. It's a mutual record. That's essential in creating a government, that you have a mutual record. Also, in in a government, you have to have a representative. Now, that representative can exercise authority, or that representative might not exercise authority. Now, Jesus, when he picked his representatives, which we call the apostles, which actually means ambassadors, they were given a directive by the king not to exercise authority one over that. They still had a directive to take care of the needy of society in pure religion. They still had a directive to feed his sheep. Feed his sheep, feed his sheep. Three times he said that. That makes it pretty important. And we see them rightly dividing not only the word but bread from house to house. We see them taking care of the daily administration. They could have sent those people to the Roman government and said, hey, or the Judean government, and say, hey, this person needs welfare. They had a welfare system in place. They had a social security system in place. But if you got the baptism of Christ, you were cut off. You were not going to get those benefits. But Christ was wise enough to get the people to come together Over his ministry time, he took those that John the Baptist had already been telling to make straight the way of the Lord. He says, stop coveting your neighbor's goods. He says, if your neighbor has no coat and you have an extra share, in other words, start going back to charities. Start getting away from the system of social welfare set up by Herod and start going back to charity. And that's what we're saying. In order to do that effectively, you have to network together and make real connections. You don't sign a contract 
where we say, oh, you have to pay in 10%, you have to pay in 20%, you have to pay in 20% minus deductions or any of these other garbage as you see in all the other governments. We just say you have to love one another, which includes providing for one another. You say, well, in my congregation, nobody needs any help, so I guess I don't have to tithe this week. No. How in the heck are you going to go out and evangelize? And how do we evangelize? Do we get up on a soapbox on the street corner and say, Repent! The end is near. No, that's not how we do it. We go out and we actually love our neighbor. And if you love in the right way, you will strengthen the poor. If you love in the wrong way, you will weaken the poor. Now, you look out at your society and you tell me, is your government weakening the poor or strengthening the poor? There was a, recently there was somebody in the news that was, was she, I cannot remember her name, but that everybody was talking about it. And it was one of these people that was talking to Trevon on the day he was killed by, uh, I can't even remember his name. <laughs> I don't pay attention to all this stuff. But I, I watched the person in their, their interview and I thought it was interesting. And, you know they were very rude and and uh, uh, very self righteous and and uh, and arrogant and, and you know the different media you know the liberal media and the conservative media all saw it differently. They saw the same event, but one saw it this way and the other one saw it that way. And I'll let you figure out which way is the truth because it's probably neither. But the reality is is that. These people are being weakened by this system of welfare. Even if her family was not on welfare, even if she wasn't on welfare, they're weakened in society, generally speaking, by the prevalence of this welfare system. Because all these people are on the wrong train, and they're going away. Now, when you want to get on the right train, now the thing is, it's not an actual physical train. It's a way. It's about turning around. You can turn around anywhere. And uh, you start moving back the other way. Before you know it, you're on the other train. You know, like teleported to the other train. And how, what does it look like to turn around? Well, you start thinking about taking care of yourself and your family. You start, you know, don't run to divorce. Don't run to division. Home education. Huge step towards the kingdom. I'm not going to covet my neighbor's goods anymore and force my neighbor to pay for my child's education. I'm still going to pay my tally of bricks because I have to pay my taxes. They'll take my land away from me. See, i got guys who they sold their land because they don't want to pay property tax and they put their family on the road and destitute them. Now, maybe God is calling them to do that, but maybe they're just so angry at the system they've, they've locked themselves into that pattern of behavior. They might have been better off staying where they were, being friends with the unrighteous mammon, teaching their children at home, pinching their pennies, and trying to help other people learn to teach their children at home. And in the process, expanded that out to learn home health. Home health is way better. There are all kinds of solutions to physical problems. Now, you still may have to go to the hospital from time to time. I'm not going to create a religion about this. But when you go to the hospital, you go with a different spirit. You won't be hopping up on the table and saying, cut away. You'll start taking back responsibility for your health and the health of your family. Start looking for alternative things. 
Eels diet. Home diet. You can't buy good food in the stores anymore. See, all, there is so much to do while you're still in the system to start preparing for that day when you, everybody will exodus the system. If you look back at history, Moses, Abraham, they were not saving one person at a time. I always remember a guy named Gino was saying this. They lost a fortune in their plans and their, uh, I'm going about saving one person at a time. That isn't the way God does it. He takes you where you're at. And He gets you to come together with others. Because until you care about saving others as much as you want to save yourself, you're not on the train that's headed to the kingdom of God. You see, because you don't have... You're missing a wheel. One of the wheels is you have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And you have to you have to become aware of the absence of that in what you're doing. You say, well, I'm young, I'm, I'm strong, I, I can work, I've got some money saved up. I mean, I've seen guys, you know, had over a quarter of a million dollars in gold stashed away in a hideout. But he was living by faith. He was taking donations from people that were living from paycheck to paycheck. And he has, you know, that was just what he had in gold. I I suspect he had over half a million dollars stashed away. And, I mean, if I had half a million dollars, I couldn't take a single donation for myself. Not a single one. I could take donations, but I would make sure every dime of it was going to other purposes. But people don't, you know, they they look at the show. I mean, he had all the outward look, you know, of a humble minister. They they actually the the outfits that they wore they they were costumes. They created this appearance. Now they're not totally in disingenuous. They are self-deceived. So they actually think they're doing good. But And they see the system is really evil, but they haven't come out of that evil. They just change the way they look. They're just doing the same thing somewhere else. I mean, this really takes some serious soul-searching. And walking in this way brings you faith to faith uh, faith to faith, that's a good way to put it. Face to face with who you are. Where your real faith is at. Unfortunately, we have a lot of religious philosophies out there that are making us absolutely blind to us, to who we are, who we have come, become. And I. All I know is that hard times is going to bring a rude awakening to a lot of people. But some of you out there are starting to wake up now. See the corruption in the world. and want to do something about it. First thing you should do is forgive the world. God so loved the world. And he was talking. He's using a word that meant constitutional order or system of government. He so loved Rome and the Roman Empire and systems like that all over the world. That he gave his only begotten son that they might be saved from the train they had gotten onto. Because see, Rome once was a republic and it was, 
it was headed in the right direction. But but then it turned around in another era and went another direction. America has done the same. Canada, England, India. They've all turned around and are going this other way. Never before, because of this mass media, have we been so far away from the truth. Yet, we're still so close. It's right there. All we have to do is turn around and go the other way. And we'll tell you more about that when we come back. So God created you to be free. That's an important thing to understand. Free souls under God. That's the kingdom of God. The government of God. And you remain free souls under God when you don't covet your neighbor's goods. When you don't seek to rule over your neighbor. When you don't seek to have one purse because that runs towards death. Bible tells us all these things because the Bible is about good government and good government is when you're the government and they're not but right now they're the government and you're not and it's that's because you've been slothful in taking care of the needs of yourself and your neighbor you've been slothful in the ways of love for each other and when Jesus came he gave very few specific instructions but he said keep the commandments if you want eternal life that's that's an instruction he said not those who say but those who do that's a, an instruction if you want to be forgiven you have to forgive others including the debt and you say well they owe me I, I paid in but you, you have to forgive that debt you have to do something different and the fact is if you came together in love you could do something different but if you don't come together in love you can't but when Jesus appointed the kingdom to the apostles, he gave them very specific instructions. And that should be paramount in the minds of everybody who seeks to be a minister of his church, his holy church, his separate church. Which is not, you know, we're not a corporate institution of the United States, his holy church. We're a corporate institution of Christ. Christ created his holy church. We're trying to conform to it. We're trying to do what he said. We know we can't do it perfectly. We're not very educated in it, although I don't know anybody else who knows more about it than we do. <laughs> but, uh, I, I can't say that they're not out there. I hope they are out there. I just can't find them. But it's not just about the knowledge. It's about the doing. And there are people out there that are extremely Christ-like in their doing. And they're probably more a part of his holy church than I am. Because I'm just not unselfish enough. I'm not diligent enough. I'm I'm not a perfect man. But I can tell you how the kingdom works. If you don't do it like Christ would do it, you're on the wrong train. You're going to get different fruits. And remember, the kingdom was taken away from them because they did not bear fruit. It's going to be given to another who did. So how do you bear fruit? You love the one you're with. But you love them in a way that strengthens them. That brings them closer to God. And you are brought closer to God by that sacrifice. When Jesus gave those 
instructions to the apostles when he appointed unto them a kingdom as he said he was going to do. He said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. Called benefactors. The kings of the Gentiles, the presidents of the other nations, the prime ministers of the other nations, the rulers of the other nations who exercise lordship. That was one of the things when we talk, I talked to the old man the other day, which I mentioned in the last show. Um, I said, well, you don't represent, you don't elect representatives. You elect rulers. Because he was talking about the fact that they, you know, majority of the people said, we don't want this. And, this, and the courts come and shoot it down and say, well, you're going to have it anyway. And he couldn't believe how that, they could do that. Well, they're the gods. They're the gods of your nation. They're the gods of your government. They're the ruling judges. They decide what is good and evil for you. You've given them that power because you gave them the power to take away from your neighbors so that you could have free education and welfare and social security and health care and all these other things. You gave them the power to do that. And they're doing it. These are the rulers of that nation. The ones that have the power to do that. They exercise lordship over them. But Christ is appointing a kingdom, a government to the followers of Christianity that are benefactors but don't exercise lordship. They do it with the perfect law of liberty through faith, hope, and charity. That's why you're not free because you're not doing it. Because Jesus said, you're not to be like that. You're not to be praying to those benefactors who exercise authority. You're not to be applying for their benefits. You're not supposed to seek their ability to take from your neighbor, because that would be coveting. You're just not to be that way. But then he says, but ye that is greatest amongst you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that does serve. So in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom appointed by Jesus, there are chiefs. And how do you tell the chief? Because they serve. They serve in abundance. How do you tell the chief out in the world? He exercises authority in abundance. He executes orders. He commands people to do things a certain way. That's the wrong train. The train that you want to be on is the one that you hold in high esteem the best servants. And you recognize that service is strengthening the poor. So this, the best servant in the kingdom is going to be a rebuker of sloth. It, it, we have a network, an email network, that is a shadow of what the real network is supposed to be. But it's a start. So it's kind of like a baby step. And you can get on that, what we call the living network. Go to livingnetwork.org and... Uh, you join the group that is covered by your area. If you're in Texas, there's there's a group that covers Texas and several of the states around Texas. And there's a California group that covers California, Nevada, and Arizona. 
as the Oregon group that covers Idaho, Oregon, and Washington. And you get on those groups, and you ask who are the personal contact ministers here, and somebody should stick their head up, and then you pick the one you want. And uh, then he will start to put you in contact if there's somebody in your neighborhood. And then you meet with him, and you find out, how hey, he's a total flake. <laughs> okay, or maybe you find out he's a genuine guy, but he's got some goofy ideas. And you forgive him his goofy ideas and try to promote his genuineness. You know, you're not, if you're looking for a gathering of saints, you're probably not going to be welcome. Because you're probably not a saint yourself. You, so you forgive so that you may be forgiven. But you start trying to find people wanting to go the other way. Not simply jump off a moving train, but actually go the other way. Start doing what Christ did, what the early church was doing. Start taking care of one another. That's it. But ye shall not be sold. So we have a we have a rank in the kingdom. It's just not a hierarchy, it's a higher service. If the word archi means power, then when we look at uh, this quote about he was greatest, uh, he who said is that meat, or he that serveth. That Christ is asking that. So that that word service, diakone, it's actually kind of an interesting word. We're not going to go into all that. But that... uh, that it's it comes from another um, Greek word that means minister, and it's itself is also translated minister. But um, if arche has to do with being a ruler, and you're looking for a higher arche, that's not what you get. You're going to get a higher diakonos, and. Uh, so he who's to be the higher deacon, diaconus, servant, is the one who serves the best. But you make that determination in your heart, in your mind, and you express that determination through your actions. And this is a key to the kingdom. You have to come together, sacrifice of yourself, in order to begin to turn around and go the other way. You have been sacrificing your neighbor for your social welfare. You've been taxing everybody in your community, whether they had children or not, so that you could have free education. And if they didn't pay in, you sent men with guns to their house and took their house away from them. Sold their house to somebody else who would pay in. That is based on covetousness. And you're going to get a different kind of result. It's going to change the thinking of your children. So that your children think that you owe them a living. They don't think they have to take care of you when you're old. They think that you have to... That's why we find... How many adults are back living with their parents? And it's going to get worse. They're not taking care of their parents. Their parents are still taking care of them. And they're actually under a strong delusion a lot of times that somehow they're the caregiver in their their mother's house or their father's house. And the reality is 
it wasn't for their parents' social security check, they'd both be starving. You know, there you you really have to change your ways and turn around and realize that you're being deceived in so many different aspects, and so many different elements of this. Well, I'm going to be in California in an hour and uh, or two, maybe it may take me a little longer to get there. And we we've got people all over the country, and we want to encourage you to start meeting up with them because there is going to be a last train to Clarksville there is time running out and you don't want to be oh no no don't be slow as the old song was saying Um, you want to get on that train to the kingdom all aboard you want to be going that direction that way and in that way like I said includes homeschooling home health and lots of other skills that we have lost because we have been dumbed down in the ways of freedom. And we don't know how to take care of ourselves without men who exercise authority. And the fact is, is that if we would learn those skills again and gather together with other people who want to make the sacrifices to do that, but are given the right to choose to make those sacrifices, they will be careful in their choices. And you will run a more efficient system. The early church was a viable republic in the heart of the Roman Empire. An ever-increasing state. It did not exercise authority one over the other. It was not persecuting and burning people at the stake. It was not compelling you to go by their interpretation. They were simply loving one another, taking care of one another. And times got hard and they not only survived, but they thrived. You need to do that too. But I'm not going to preach some sort of uh, successful, uh, you know, um, theology where, you know, God will make you rich and you'll have four cars and a big mansion if you do this. No, you don't even want those things. Yeah, I mean, you want a house that keeps you warm in the, the winter and cool in the summer and you want to be able to get around and take care of your family. You know, we were talking the other day about children. They buy these fancy toys for the kids and you find them playing with the boxes they came in. So I had a solution. I said, I just buy my kids boxes. I don't even buy them. I get them out of the dumpster. (laughs) You know, whenever I put in a water heater for somebody or, you know, help somebody deliver in a washing machine, I would always cut the box very carefully so that I could take it out of the box whole and then I could... I would strap the box down and take it back home and the kids would just have a ball playing with it. So I did. I, I gave my kids boxes for gifts. <laughs> I also taught them how to make their own gifts. We still have those. We made we made trains and trucks and uh, one of those uh, walking tanks that you see in Star Wars. And we we made all those things. And in the process of making those things, with my kids, we created bonds. And they don't always see it, but they were actually created. Bonds. You have to do the same thing. You have to come together in a congregation and start creating those bonds. Because it cannot be just your witness. They got you thinking that you're saved because you think a thought. It even says in there, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there also I am. So, 
You have to gather together in the name and in the character of Christ, which is a character that came to serve, not imagine. Which is better, to eat, sit at that meat, or to serve, or to think about it? You know, it's kind of like the old deal, like, you know, where you, you, you picture foods, the people in the starving situation, you know, and everything, and so they're, you know, Abacus or whoever was looking up at the clouds and saying, well, that looks like a roast beef and, you know, <laughs> that looks like a leg of lamb and that looks like a roasted chicken. Because they were imagining food because they were so hungry. And, but that's what they, they're imagining salvation. Well, Christ didn't say, imagine salvation and you will be saved. Christ said, feed my sheep. Take care of one another. Love one another. Forgive so that you may be forgiven. It's that simple. And how can you do that unless you come together? And how can you... If you don't care about the ones that are outside of your congregation, the ones that have no congregation, the ones that have never heard the gospel of the kingdom, who don't know what it means to be free, souls under God, if you're not out there trying to find them and help them, help them with their unbelief, show them the way, then why would God help you? And that's why you should be tithing to your local ministers and helping them seek to help others because wouldn't you want somebody to look for you if you were lost in the woods? We just had a PCM kind of show up missing. and There's guys trying to get a hold of him. For some reason, all of a sudden, he's not there and they're trying to find him it's probably okay but that's the buddy system times 10 which is what the kingdom always was and they have to follow through with that and learn to follow through with that we're crippled as a society we are incapable of freedom we don't know what freedom and liberty is anymore we have some vague social memory of it some of you are have a pretty good memory of it, but none of us have the memory of it and the understanding of it that we need. You know, your homeschooling kids can be far brighter, far more capable than the other kids, but you need to, even in homeschooling, you need to educate kids together. You need to have them interacting. So you need to start homeschooling clubs. You know, and some of the places you can go to start gathering with people... But don't do it helter-skelter. Don't do it vaguely friendship. Oh, I met this guy at a GMO rally. Actually start connecting. Realize that you have to deal with every aspect. Yeah, you might have your specialty. That GMO thing may be really important to you. Or home education might be really important to you. Or home health might be really important to you. Or whatever. Or education might be important to you. That's because you're different parts of the body. But you need to have a common witness. You need to come together in congregations of witness. I, I tell people, we call them congregations of record because a record is a witness. And that record is not just the written record, but the actual doing record. But we call them congregations of record because the letters stand C-O-R, core. Well, that's that sounds good. That's kind of like a team. And that's what it is. If we say call them congregation of testimony, it would be cot. 
<laughs> that didn't work as well. Uh, uh, congregation of the way. Uh, cow. Uh, there was another word I had that began with W that we thought about putting there, but congregation of record makes it a core, and that's what a congregation is. It's a core. It's people that are not only going to individually try to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, but they're going to do it gathered together in His name and His character, which means they have gathered together to serve one another. If nobody in their congregation has a need, then they should go out or or fund their minister to go out and find somebody who has a need and give them the fulfillment of that need in a way that strengthens them. Because we don't want to make them dependent. Don't feed the bears. It makes them dependent. Don't feed the slothful. It makes them dependent. They should be hungry. Most of them need to be on a diet anyway. That's also people who get themselves into financial trouble. They may not need money. They may need rebuke. Why did you get into this financial trouble? That you need help. Where did your money go? Let's look at your books. Oh, we don't want to share in our books. We just want help. Well, forget it. If you don't want to share so that we can help you learn to fish. I mean, it's like, I don't want a fishing pole. I just want a fish dinner. <laughs> I can't help you. I'm not here to to feed you. I'm here to teach you how to fish. You know, Jesus says, I want to make you fishers of men. He said, we don't want to be fishers of men. We just want to be preachers and drive a Cadillac. (laughs) No, we, we have to look at things all different. It's not what you think. It's what you do. It's not how much you're sorry. It's how much you forgive others. It's not how much you want to be liked and feel good. But it's how much you want to love others. And loving others doesn't always make them feel good. Sometimes loving others is hard on them. It's called tough love. And that's what I'm with you. I'm tough love. If you're not doing it, you know, what we really need to talk about, and there's not enough time, is organized religion. The early church was extremely well organized. And people say, oh, I hate organized religion. I only want disorganized religion. I want chaotic religion. (laughs) No, they don't actually say that, but that is what they're saying. The early church was extremely well organized. Apostles had 12 apostles. There were 120 people in the upper room. Sounds like some sort of a numerical connection there. What was actually going on? What were they doing at Pentecost? How how were they operating? They were organized from the bottom up, not without exercising authority from the top down. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons people like Marcus Aurelius and Diocletian hated the Christians is they feared them. Because they were so well organized. Their tens, hundreds, and thousands put them in contacts. And no matter what the problem was in society, they were connected all across that society. This took a certain kind of person to do this. You got the internet and you can't even get organized. 
They took care of all the social welfare needs. That's organized. Had to be organized. They even pointed out, look, hey, the daily administration is being neglected. You don't even have a daily administration in your modern churches. They don't do any of that. Well, maybe a little token stuff now and then, but nothing that would allow anybody to survive. The daily administration is taken care of by the social welfare office. And Social Security, that's how you take care of the daily administration in your churches. Because you're not a church established by Jesus Christ. You're a feel-good, emotional club of nonsense and false religion going the opposite direction. You show me the church that takes care of all the social welfare needs of their congregation and even people outside their congregation they help you show me that and I'll show you his holy church till then all we're doing is seeking it seeking the ways of Christ so gather together with us and start seeking it too and God will bless you until then may peace be upon your house and may God be with you You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.